0: Star Wars 7 by 7 episode 2475. Today, the first of a two-part conversation with Edward Gross, who is the co-author of Secrets of the Force, the complete, uncensored, unauthorized oral history of Star Wars. Punch it. <laughs> Hey, Ribble Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod, and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy, and thank you so much for joining me for it. So here's the deal with Edward Gross. He has an extensive history covering film and television as a member of the editorial staff at a variety of magazines, including Cinescape, Starlog, Cinefantastique, SFX, Movie Magic, Sci-Fi Now, and Geek. He has written or co-written over three dozen non-fiction books. And this Star Wars oral history book is the latest in a series of oral histories that he and his co-writing partner, Mark Altman, have put together over the past few years. They have touched upon the Battlestar Galactica franchise, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer slash Angel franchise, the James Bond franchise, and that other star franchise, Star Trek. (laughs) And yeah, that other franchise might come up in the conversation once or twice, but hey, you know, you don't live by Star Wars alone necessarily, but that is going to be the dominant part of the conversation naturally. And so without further ado, here is part one of my conversation with Ed Gross, co-author of Secrets of the Force, the complete uncensored, unauthorized oral history of Star Wars. Ed Gross, thank you so much for joining
1: me on Star Wars 7x7, how are you today? I am great, you know, immersed in the world of Star Wars and hoping the word gets out there about Secrets of the Force
0: i'm very pleased to be talking to you about that today thank you very much for coming on the show and oh my gosh this immersion is crazy but this is apparently kind of old hat to you because this is your fifth published franchise oral history and I gather you're working on a sixth which you know maybe I'll ask you about a little bit later but uh, I want to start out by asking you what it is about this format that you find to be particularly compelling and you know maybe you share a couple of your own personal favorite oral histories out there could be in the science fiction area could be entirely out of it whatever you like
1: sure well first of all I just it's very funny. When the 50th anniversary of Star Trek came around back in uh, 2016, uh, prior to that, uh, Mark Altman and I, my co-author, uh, we were talk- I was trying to convince him to do a book for the 50th anniversary, and he just didn't have any interest because he produces TV shows and stuff, even though we'd written Star Trek books in the past together. And uh, then he said to me, hey, take a look at these oral histories. And he showed me two of them, one on uh, I Want My MTV. And one on live from New York. It's Saturday night, normal uh, and oral mm. history live. I read them, blown away by the format. I really wasn't that familiar with the format, although I'm sure it's been out there for quite a while. Um, and I came back to him and I said, "Yes, let's let's do this as an oral history." And uh, we sold it. Uh, we went to our agent and we sold it the next day. And it's just a fascinating format because it's like I'm a very disorganized person in a lot of ways. <laughs> What I find like this is where I'm an idiot savant because it's like you give me an oral history and I'm able to take these disparate interviews from, you know, a hundred different people and somehow weave them into a cohesive story, uh, putting it together. And I think that's what I like about it. It's sort of putting together a jigsaw puzzle of, uh, you know, you get the, the analogy we always use is you put a hundred of your closest friends in a room and have a conversation about, you know, A, B, C, or D. And then it's just everybody's different views Of that subject and you just tell a story through all their points of view it's just so much more satisfying and an easier read in some ways you know it's it's greasier no matter how big the book is and you can pick it up almost anywhere and just start reading so it's um it's a format i love and i hope to keep doing it i mean yeah we've done six of them actually star trek we did two volumes we've got one coming out next year and i just finished one on stargate so uh uh yeah we keep cranking them out (laughs) in a good way i hope
0: yeah, so as seven, I guess, then, if you're talking Stargate, I think that's the new one that we hadn't heard about yet, and you're working on yet another?
1: Well, yeah, we Mark and I are doing one for next year, and then uh, I just finished one uh, on, on Stargate SG-1, uh, and we'll be doing a follow-up book to that one. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that'll actually be eight uh, oral history books. My uh, goodness. <laughs> so, well,
0: clearly a format you enjoy. <laughs> very much so. and hope to keep doing it. So, yeah. So Star Wars is, as I'm sure you're aware, one of the most thoroughly documented and researched franchises out there. And considering that, you know, when you approach Secrets of the Force, how do you do that to ensure that it's going to be a compelling addition to the existing library of reference material that already exists on the franchise?
1: Well, I I think it's looking for the little sort of nooks and crannies, or shall we say, the corners of a galaxy far, far away that haven't been explored as thoroughly. Uh, Each one of these books, we've been very lucky uh, to be able to cover some aspect of the subject that really hasn't been covered. Like, for instance, the first Star Trek book covering the original series. We got stuff on the 70s, you know, the rebirth of Star Trek, basically. And we got people that we've never spoken, you know, have never been interviewed. And it's interesting telling the story that way and finding those things that haven't been exposed before. In addition to, of course, the regular history, but with everybody's different points of view, it, it sort of cr- cr- paints a whole new portrait no matter how much this material has been covered before. In Star Wars, there were two things, in Secrets of the Force. One was the Star Wars Holiday Special. Mm-hmm. We spoke mm-hmm. to a whole bunch of people on that one. And uh, it was just fascinating getting the different views of what went into that and how it imploded and that sort of thing. Uh, and then there was that period after Return of the Jedi uh, where Star Wars kind of really was not quite a death rows, but it was really down there, pretty low. And Lucasfilm decided to start um, creating merchandise after a number of years where there was no merchandise at all. And I think the first things they came up with were these Bendham dolls, <laughs> Luke Skywalker Bendem. You can pose them in any position you want, you know. Uh, and it, that period, though, of how they reignited interest in Star Trek, uh, Star Wars, rather, uh, is fascinating, you know, because really, I mean, Heir to the Empire is, like, the big turning point for everything in Timothy Zahn's book. So uh, those are the two areas in this book that I find, personally, uh, were fascinating and different, and I don't think people have read much on.
0: I agree, and uh, the the holiday special, actually, Bruce Valanche has been a guest on the show previously. It was wonderful to see him quoted (laughs) in in that section, and it is wonderful, and I highly recommend the read because, yeah, that is one of the most unique stories in all of star wars and the fact that it has been you know mostly disavowed by everyone
1: i know and this is from a company that loves to merchandise stuff <laughs> and mm-hmm. this one they've let slip by they just don't want to acknowledge its existence yeah hopefully
0: someday it will be welcomed back <laughs>
1: if not, we'll get the guardians of the galaxy holiday season uh, special next year so there you go <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i can't wait for it i want to see what they're going to do with that so you mentioned being
0: disorganized and um and how this actually appeals to your you know some you know your ability to create something like this i think it's funny to Here you talk about being disorganized, considering the nature of this book. I mean, it's 550 pages long, and aside from you know some connective tissue that you and Mark provide, you know, to bridge from one story to another or do one set of interviews to another, it's almost entirely interviews. So, just you know, top level, how long does it take to put the
1: book together? These books average about a year uh, to to put together. I'd say between saying okay, we're doing this, getting a deal, sitting down, doing the interviews. You know, it, it, yeah, a year is probably a pretty good uh, estimate of it because then once you have the interviews, of course, then it's a question of laying out all those transcripts and mm-hmm. as earlier piecing it together. And, uh, but that, yeah, so a year is a pretty safe uh, number to say. It's it's a crazy year. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it, that, that's about it.
0: And roughly how many interviewees would you say?
1: Oh, I'm going to press
0: you for the exact number,
1: <laughs> but yeah, I imagine okay. it's over a hundred for sure. There's a hundred voices in this book, definitely, at least mm-hmm. at, at least a hundred voices. And we kind of usually fall in that level. I think Trek was actually more. I think Trek was like two hundred. Uh, Battlestar Galactica was pretty much everybody. and we missed a couple of people basically. So yeah, so I'd, I'd say about a hundred people
0: so can you talk a little bit about the the logistics of this i mean this is just it's such an impressive undertaking to me to like pulling off so many interviews and also the sourcing of archival interview material for people who either wouldn't necessarily go on the record like lucas himself or people who've since passed away for example
1: well i mean it's it's a question of i mean there's a couple of ways you go about this you know with somebody like george lucas uh you know uh he did not you know want to be a part of it uh, what a shock. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, George has done enough convention appearances, live appearances, uh, to talk, talk about Star Wars. And some of it's, like, incredible. He'll spend, like, e- there have been times where he spent two, three hours uh, talking about different aspects of Star Wars. And it's, like, an astounding amount of time, seriously, uh, to do that. In certain cases, we have an archive of interviews that we ourselves have done. Uh, you know, Star Trek, for instance, you know, many people had passed away, but they were sitting in uh, what Mark calls my, my basement, calls my basement the uh, the TARDIS. Uh, <laughs> every time we need something, I go down there and I'm able to retrieve it uh, at the very last minute on the first Star Trek or oh, the second Star Trek book, I'm sorry, in the uh, Next Gen and all the other spinoffs. I said to him at the very last minute, I said, you know, I interviewed Bert Armis and I think I was one of the few people to inter- in- interview that producer. I said, I think I know where it is, and basically I remembered it was on a black microcassette, unlabeled, uh-huh. <laughs> in a box of about 150 cassettes, and somehow the second tape I picked up was Bert Armist. <laughs> and it's, like, it's in the middle, I call him up, I go, I got prognosis, I got pronomis. <laughs> so uh, it's just that's but that's how a lot of this stuff comes together. You know, you get these interviews you're not expecting to get. You have things that you've done and forgotten after all these decades that you did. Um, and I probably have strayed totally from your question. <laughs> Sorry about that.
0: No, no, that's perfectly fine. I mean, you're talking about the process, and I imagine even that story, though it's about the other Star series, still kind of ports over in its way.
1: Well, it's all because it's all similar. It's all the same type of thing. The process is again, it's just being focused on telling the story in a uh, usually in a linear fashion. Sometimes you bounce, you know, bounce around in time a little bit, but it's just. A question of, you know, again, that evil word organization, uh, which, you know, I have generations of my family that laugh if they hear me say the word organized. Um, (laughs) uh, But it is that it is, it is just really paying attention to what everybody is saying. And as you're speaking to somebody saying, oh, okay, I got this part. And then you write it down, you put it together and you sit there and go, I need somebody to fill this gap. you know what I mean? So it's not Mark and I talking, it's another voice. So usually, you know, I, I happen to be pretty good at making contacts with people and able to go back to them. So it's like if I find I have gaps, I go back to somebody and I'll say, hey, listen, I need a gap filled in here with this. What do you have to say about this subject? And that's the way you can, again, you build on what you've already got. So that type of thing.
0: Excellent. That's very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> so much fun. So, in reading other reviews about the book, I'm under the impression that, as opposed to some of the oral histories that you've done, that Secrets of the Forest gets more into the inner workings of the business of Lucasfilm then perhaps say the inner work, other histories go into the business of say Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica, but that you're actually doing a little bit more with the company itself. I mean, would you say that that is necessarily the case? And can you talk about why the business of Lucasfilm is a particularly compelling part of the overall Star Wars story?
1: Well, I mean, we do to some degree with Lucasfilm. I think it's more about Lucas. I think it's more about looking at his journey, uh, From I mean, you know, you can't have one without the other. Yes, Gene Roddenberry is Star Trek, but Star Trek is owned by Paramount Pictures and all this stuff. Lucas is Lucas, and Lucasfilm is Lucas. And so, what we had to do with this one is, especially because we we're covering the entire history. And you know, people I, I've read some reviews where people have said, "Oh, they go back and they cover you know how it all started and that kind of thing." And it's like, well, yeah, uh, because you know, you can't tell the story without looking at how this guy started basically with nothing. And turned it into Star Wars in the sense of watching. Here's the idea. Here's how he managed to somehow come up, you know, write it. Here's how he happened to sell it. And if not for Alan Ladd, he never would have sold it. Here's how he got the rights for the merchandise. Here's how he did the special effects, you know, had the uh, special effects and built it from the ground up to make the, the effects something different. You cannot look at the making of Star Wars without going into detail on how they pulled it off because before them, nobody had pulled it off in this way before. That's why I think it was necessary in this case to really focus a lot on the company and what went into the building of that company, because that that equals the building of Star Wars.
0: I would tend to agree with you on that point for sure. I mean, it's certainly more identified with him and the fact that he created a company around it as opposed to other franchises where there may have been some particular creator with whom the series is identified, like Gene Roddenberry or Ronald Moore for Battlestar Galactica, for example, but it really is more of something that ultimately belongs to someone else entirely in a way, and he is deeply identified with the Star Wars stories Lucas is.
1: Absolutely, and one of his biographers pointed out, the thing that amazed him about George Lucas is the fact that if something didn't exist, he made it. If the theaters theaters didn't have the sound system he wanted for, let's say, Return of the Jedi, he made them get the equipment in because I'm gonna have this neat movie, Return of the Jedi. And then later on, it was the same thing with The Phantom Menace, you should have digital cameras. I'm gonna have digital Star Wars movies. So he got them to build the thing he wanted to show his films in. It's like, it's really amazing what he was able to get done.
0: All right, we're gonna stop it right there and we will pick up with part two of this conversation on tomorrow's episode. So it just remains for me to say for now, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the show. And as always, may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be.